Greetings, friends. Uh, back with another rousing episode of the Rocky River United Methodist Church podcast here with Stephen Young, our director Hi. of youth ministries. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Paul Bennett, uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, good to be with you again on this, uh, this crisp October day. And uh, whenever you're listening, I'm sure it will still be a crisp day, even if we roll into November. I uh, hope you're having a great week. And we're going to pick up uh, with a, a new little mini-series uh, here this week uh, called, I'm going to call it The Kingdom of God. Is that okay, Stephen? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Kingdom of God. Uh, that, that's fitting because that's what we're going to talk about. The next two weeks, uh, we're going to focus on the kingdom of God, a, a big part of Jesus's mission on earth was to bring God's kingdom or, or the kingdom of heaven, uh, as he referred to it often, down to earth. Uh, you see, the, the assumption many people make about Christianity, even shared by some people who themselves uh, are, consider themselves Christians, is uh, that Christianity is all about Christians, you know, in, in the course of their lives, passing some kind of faith test and then being rewarded by God beaming them up into the heavens, right? But the truth is that God's vision is more that his kingdom, comprised of, of his, his heart, his notions of justice and mercy, would rather be introduced into the world as we know it and begin to take hold here on earth. This is why Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to, to pray to God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, a good chunk of Jesus's teaching was basically our instruction manual and how to live into God's kingdom here on earth, right in the midst of our daily lives. So these are the, the teachings that we're going to focus on here for the next several weeks. And this is really an important topic anytime, but Stephen and I chose to address it now, uh, at the end of October, rolling into the beginning of November, uh, because we feel that this is essential knowledge that we each need to have in place in order to do our civic duty in an election year. Uh, so while I, I don't think it's especially beneficial in our divisive climate to start debating candidates um, or, or really helpful for anybody, I personally find nothing wrong um, with getting political, as we call it, in, in a church setting. I know a lot of people are, are turned off by that, and I know how uncomfortable it can be, but our faith applies to everything that we do in life, every decision, every interaction. So why shouldn't we bring our faith into conversations about our place in society and our civic responsibilities? Why shy away from it? Uh, because, uh, because it makes us uncomfortable. I think uh, the reason we often do so is, is because having healthy conversations in, in general about things people disagree on or get wound up about demands maybe at times a bit more social and emotional maturity than we can muster at times, and I'm counting myself uh, in that description. But we'll see if we can delve just lightly into this uh, arena perhaps over the next two weeks as we discuss how the kingdom of heaven can come alive in each one of us. Uh, one of the primary means used to teach people about God's kingdom uh, by Jesus was, was the parables, basically stories that Jesus uses to illustrate his mission, his purpose uh, to the people that he's trying to connect with. So uh, we're going to hone in on a few of Jesus's parables uh, together over the next few weeks, amongst uh, other things that we might delve into as well, all in relation to the kingdom of God. Uh, Stephen is going to start us off and Stephen, uh, take us away. Welcome everyone. Oh. 
I guess you've already done the intro, so I guess I don't have to welcome everyone again. <laughs> Thanks for being so hospitable, though, Stephen. That's much appreciated. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about this topic about the kingdom of God, and I'm going to read my my parable for um, this uh, for this talk, and then um, Paul has his own parable. So I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. And um, so it's Luke chapter 14, 15 through 24. And I'm going to be reading this from the NLT version, not BLT, NLT. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll laugh thanks, for you, Steve. I'm Paul. sure everybody out there is is uh, falling out of their chairs right I, now. I, I'm sure they are yeah, eating their good. BLTs. <laughs> All right. Um, so Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 15 through 24. Hear this... Uh, Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, "What a blessing it what a blessing it will be to a, attend a banquet in the kingdom of God." And just a side note, Jesus is eating um, with the Pharisees in their house. So this is um, one of the Pharisees, one of the teachers of the law responding to Jesus. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come to the, the banquet, come, the banquet is ready. But they had all begun making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and I mustn't expect it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the, cri the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. So... Again, this is about the kingdom of God, um, and in this particular parable, the kingdom um, is about inviting in the weak and the outcast. Um, the kingdom of God is, is um, really focused a lot on the weak and the outcast. Um, the way Jesus saw it, it's not a kingdom for the proud, but for the humble. Not a kingdom for the rich and exclusive, um, but for the poor, crippled, the lame, and the blind. While the kingdom is not intentionally trying to exclude people um, who have wealth or who are rich, um, but they refuse the invitation to come in. So let's, we're going to kind of delve into this and what this parable is saying. So in this parable, we see, the, see that the kingdom of God is offered to anyone. Um, there isn't one type of person that was meant to be excluded from the kingdom. However, People would frequently exclude themselves from the from the banquet for various reasons. So we had the first person, they can't come to the banquet because um, they bought a field and they have to work it, right? The other had just bought five oxen, five pair of oxen, and they need to try them out, right? I mean, I, when I buy my oxen, I got to try them out for sure. Right, Paul? Uh, <laughs> of course you do, Steve. Paul, you're supposed to laugh at all my jokes. No, sorry. I, I hadn't uh, returned to my chair from the last right. one, so it was not within range of the mic. Uh, yeah. 
So yeah, the other bought five oxen, and they need to try them out. And then the other one just got married, so I guess they can't come. <laughs> um, <laughs> that wasn't a joke, but, you know, Paul, Paul just laughed anyway. Oh. <laughs> um, so these things so these things that people are seeking are not wrong, right? Um, having the field and the oxen being married, none of that's wrong. But when it's placed above what God is doing, they become the idols they worship. They become blind to the work that God is inviting them into, blind to the glorious open invitation that God, um, open invitation that God is inviting them to this banquet. Um, what the issue, the issue isn't the field or the oxen or, or marriage. The issue is that these things, again, become the sole focus and they wouldn't give God even the time of day. It is also assumes that the people who made the excuses um, not to come to the banquet even though they knew there was a banquet was going to be taking place. Um, there's an assumption here that when at the beginning of the parable, it says that the banquet is ready, um, almost almost in a sense that, hey, the banquet you've been waiting for is ready. Um, so it explains why the master in the story is so upset um, that they knew about the banquet, but they made excuses anyways. Um, and again, so this is kind of a parable in a, in a sense that Jesus, you remember when Jesus is crying before the city of Jerusalem, he had said at one point that the, the people didn't see the king, their king who was coming before them, that they didn't recognize Christ as their Messiah. Um, and this parable is kind of hinting at that, that the people are not recognizing the Messiah. They're not, they're not open to the invitation that Christ says the kingdom has come, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is near, and, and they're refusing um, to come into Christ's kingdom. So the parable has hints of that. Um, but the ones that did accept the invitation were the outsiders in the community, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, people whose society didn't care for or even notice. They are the ones that get invited in. The kingdom of heaven isn't going to be filled with the prominent, but but it's going to be filled with those who go unnoticed. This isn't to say again in any way that prominent people can't enter, enter the kingdom of God or, or people who have wealth. It just tends to be the case that these people who are unaware, it just tends to be the case that the people who have riches and wealth are unaware of their need. They're, they're unaware of what God is doing or is going to do, and they're unaware of how their stuff or what we have is, can take us away from God. Let me put it this way. Jesus, at the end of chapter, at the, at the end of this chapter, he says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So that's what he says at the end of this chapter, and it kind of sums up everything that happens in this chapter. He says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now it is much harder for someone who is rich or who possesses a lot or who has or who has fallen in love with these things or with this stuff or with this world, it's much harder to give that up for Jesus. Um, however, for those who are poor or outcasts or who are vulnerable or, or those who are forgotten by the rest of the world, it is easier for them to see the message, accept the truth and be willing to change. Again, Jesus isn't only targeting the poor, but it is the poor and the outcasts who tend to recognize the truth and more, and more easily um, can turn from, from the life they once lived to a new life. While the poor have a different perspective, a perspective that helps them see the sins in this world and in themselves, a perspective that leaves them open to hearing, listening, and receiving. 
Um, and then Paul again repeats this thought or this theme of Jesus in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss, uh, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. So he's saying, I consider everything a loss for, for the surpassing um, worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So yes, everything is considered a loss in comparison to knowing Christ. And, and I say this for myself, everything is considered a loss. Your job, your career, your degree, your house, your wealth, your family, your past, your future, everything you own and everything you've done. And this is a radical sort of thing. This is radical thinking um, that, that you give up everything for Jesus. But what, even though it's so radical, the crazy thing is the more you give up, the more you gain. Um, this giving up everything is so radical. Even the disciples at the time, Peter said, we have left everything to follow you. What then will we, what then will there be for us? And I believe that's the question a lot of us have, like myself included, you give up all this for Jesus and, and you repeat the words of Peter. He said, we have left, we have left nothing. I mean, we have left everything for you, Jesus. What, what is there for us, you know? And Jesus responds, um, is, is this fantastic. So Jesus responds and he says this, he says, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come again. So Jesus isn't saying get a divorce. He isn't saying abandon your kids, but what he is saying is those things are not your core purpose in life, nor are they your ultimately, they don't ultimately define who you are. Your first and foremost um, priority and above everything else is a follower of Jesus. Jesus is your first and ultimate commitment. And this, and what that means is, is also means that it means this is what's crazy. Again, going back to what you give up, you get more back. Because um, it means that you love your family more, you love your neighbors more, you love your community more because you have the love of Jesus flowing through you. Okay, so let me break it down real quickly. So it's when you give it all up for Jesus, Jesus fills you up with himself. He fills you with his Holy Spirit so that you can love your family better. You can love your community better. You can do better work. You can be more focused on your gifts and your talents and your career because you're, the central focus of Jesus is there and everything about him flows through you and, and you're radically changed for the better. So you get that kind of that twist of, I give everything up for Jesus, and then when I receive Jesus, everything else is changed, even for the better. Um, so the kingdom of God is such a radical thing of like giving it all up, while at the same time receiving so much more when we give it all up for Christ. Um, so when we think of the kingdom of God, it's something that um, is inviting in the weak and the outcast, but it's also something that's um, an invitation for us to give it all up for him so that the kingdom of God, the purpose of Christ can flow through us and we can make a difference in our communities and our families and, and with those around us. So um, it's a radical, radical thing. That it is. This notion of uh, giving first, not because you're expecting to receive anything tangible in response. And mm -hmm. very much goes against our nature as, as humans, which is, I guess, why Jesus... Uh, 
went about trying to explain it to us in so many different ways and yeah. so many different times during his ministry because uh, mm-hmm. it was really a tough concept for us to grasp. Yeah. Uh, so Stephen's parable fit into that uh, category of the kingdom of God being a place where uh, the, the least likely are, are often the most cherished and, and the first to be mm-hmm. welcomed. Um, the, the parable that I'm going to dive into here in just a moment speaks uh, primarily about the nature of the kingdom as a, not a, not an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And once again, trying to help people realign their expectations, their, their understanding of the kingdom. Uh, so it's not about um, what our, our human nature might expect us to, to seek for within the kingdom, but it's, it's about uh, God's plans for us in, in the spiritual realm. Uh, so my uh, parable is, is called uh, by most folks the, the parable of the weeds. Um, and it's drawn from Matthew chapter 13, a, an excellent chapter that's packed full of parables, in, in fact. Uh, but Matthew 13 verses 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. Uh, and this is the NIV version, Stephen, oh, NIV. Not, not the BLT. Uh, Jesus <laughs> told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Well, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So uh, as we spend a little bit more time with the parables here, you'll, you'll see most of Jesus's parables center on everyday concepts or, or events or habits that many people can relate to and farming and, and agriculture, of course, uh, especially back in Jesus time was the perfect su- subject matter because everybody did a, a little bit of this or at least was aware of it. Uh, but in this parable, a man sowed or planted some good seed in his field. Turns out he was planting wheat which of course would have been as essential a crop back then as it is today. The problem begins when an enemy of the man sneaks into his field in the middle of the night, we presume, and and sows a bad kind of seed in with the good wheat seed. We assume the enemy is, is trying to disrupt the growth of this man's wheat. Now, from the original Greek, this this is interesting, we can actually identify the bad seed or the weeds as uh, something called zizanion. Or at least I'm pretending I what know. What was that again? It. It, it was zizanion. Zizanion. There you go. Very good. Uh, we can all say it together now, wherever <laughs> you're at. Zizanion, uh, also known as Darnell or tares. Uh, I promise you I didn't know any of this stuff without doing some research. Uh, but Zizanian was a, a rye grass uh, that actually contained poisonous seeds. 
So it turns out when it first sprouts, it resembles uh, wheat. So early on in the growth of this plant, this weed, it's going to look like all the other wheat. But by the time harvest rolls around, it's easily distinguished from the wheat, which if you're anticipating the spiritual significance of this parable, you might already have a sense of, of why this particular weed was chosen. Early on, it, it blends right in. Eventually, um, its true nature comes out and is quite apparent. But it, it's interesting, stepping back and look at the, uh, the parable as a whole, uh, when recalling this parable, I found a lot of people tend to forget the role of the enemy uh, entirely. In fact, maybe you already have, even though I just read it a few moments ago. Uh, maybe we're so used to weeds just kind of sprouting up everywhere on their own that we don't even think about uh, somebody ever planting them. Well, when the servants report the weed problem to the master in this parable, he clearly knows right away that the weeds did not appear on their own. They are, in fact, the work of his enemy. But the surprising twist here comes in the form of the master's response to his servants. Don't pull up the weeds, he says, because you may uproot the wheat with them. The wheat and the weeds grow so close to, to one another and are intertwined as they grow such that it, it's risky. It's too risky to try to get at the weeds right now. Instead, the plan is to allow both of them to grow freely and the weeds will be dealt with uh, at, at harvest time at the proper time. They'll be collected, we're told, bundled and burned. And only then will the wheat uh, on the other side of that be safely harvested. So that's kind of the breakdown. now. Not every parable gets an explanation afterwards in, in scripture. We get lucky with this one because a few verses later, Jesus breaks it down when he's alone with his disciples. They get the explanation even though the, the crowds do not. So uh, let's fast forward to verses 36 through 43 and take a peek at how Jesus explains this. Uh, it reads, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Apparently they were uh, really struggling with this one. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So the first thing that, that jumps out at me here, honestly, is, is how clear and, and precise Jesus is with his explanation. For a guy who's, whose parables themselves can be pretty cryptic and, and rarely does he ever give explanations, basically Jesus is like handing out a, a decoder, uh, you know, um, pin or decoder to, to his parable here. The sower, uh, Jesus tells her, tells us that the sower of the wheat is himself. He is the sower, not surprising. Uh, but we can also assume that anyone acting on Jesus's behalf who's also sowing good seeds can be lumped in with him. The field, he tells us, is the world, not just 
Israel, it's interesting to note, but but the whole world. Jesus is, is already making it clear here at this point in his ministry that the good news and the kingdom are intended to be spread everywhere, not just amongst the Jews. The wheat, we're told, is the people who embrace God's kingdom, essentially Jesus' followers. And the weeds are people who reject Jesus and instead allow their lives to be guided by the evil one. Now, I think it's important to note, they don't, they don't have to be uh, Satan worshipers, quote unquote. They, they can be anyone who is even unknowingly under Satan's control. And of course, the enemy himself referred to uh, is Satan himself. So the harvest is the end of the age, a reference to the time of judgment when Jesus returns to formally establish his kingdom. Now, there's no way around it. Uh, we, we hear the, the conclusion of this parable and it's pretty heavy stuff. Nobody wants to think about this weeping and, and gnashing of teeth business. But we can't just pick and choose which words of Jesus we, we pay attention to. So the bottom line we have to come away with here is, is that everyone is either wheat or weed. There, there's no mention of any neutral bystanders here like uh, like i want to be a fern i don't want to be wheat or weed I, I feel like being a mushroom today no wheat and weed are, are the only options and those who don't choose the wheat route which entails becoming a, a person uh, a citizen of the kingdom in other words a, a follower of jesus christ those who don't choose that route will by default become a member of the weed family and the end for them is is not pretty uh, as it's described in the parable but here's the part I want to focus on for our purposes today. All right, if we, if we as Christians are called to be members of the kingdom, we can never let our guard down to the reality that there are weeds everywhere. The interesting part, once again, is that Jesus has every opportunity to dictate here that the weeds be pulled up and tossed aside early on before they become a, a nuisance, yet he rejects the idea. One reason that I think maybe is less represented by the parable uh, in front of us and more just by our, our knowledge of uh, God's kingdom outside of this is that weeds can always transform into wheat at a, a moment's notice, right? In fact, as wheat, it's our job to nurture the transformation of other weeds into wheat. So if all weed has wheat potential living inside of it, we certainly don't want to toss them aside prematurely and, and, uh, and not allow them to, to be nurtured into perhaps wheat down the road. I kind of wish he'd have done oats or something like that because saying wheat and, and weed over and over, they all start to blend together. Um, anyhow, with that aside, secondly, uh, I fully believe that wheat needs the weeds to be strong and vital. I truly believe that with the threat of the weeds all around them, the wheat, uh, I think, are more apt to uh, do a couple of things. Dig deeper for water, right? Because they have competition. Reach higher for sunlight and embolden themselves against the threat of the weeds uh, spread out around them. As wheat or as Christians, we then have greater urgency uh, about us in, in knowing exactly who we are because we at the same time have to know who we are not. We have to be able to decipher between something that is healthy for the kingdom versus something that poses a threat to the kingdom. We have to know ourselves. We have to know our identity. We have to know what we're all about. And as we look at our, our own political process and, and climate in this country, I think this is incredibly important. 
and, and let's be clear, I'm not, uh, before I say any more, I'm not coding. Uh, what I say here to secretly be speaking about specific candidates or issues, uh, maybe in the way Jesus did. There's not going to be a, a breakdown at the end. This is really what Paul is saying here. He's endorsing this or that or disagreeing with this or that. That's not at all uh, my intention. I'm, I'm just speaking generalities. But as wheat living amongst the weeds, we need to have a really good handle on the difference between the two, uh, almost to the extent that we can sniff it out, we can sense it, we can feel it. Some areas of our, our faith, uh, truth be told, are very black and white. And uh, we, we need, even in those areas, we need to be well-versed in God's Word and, and tuned into God's Spirit to be able to, to see those areas for what they are. But not every area of our faith is black and white. There are some issues and concepts that faithful people can fall on all different sides of. Making decisions and, and aligning ourselves with groups or parties or individuals in a, a political world is, is messy stuff and, and people fall all over the place within it. Um, Jesus fully advocates, before we go further, advocates for us to do our civic duty. Jesus wants us to get involved, to know what's going on. Uh, how and why we know that is a conversation, I think, for a different day. But Jesus wants us to plug into our society. We must be in the world if we are to impact it for the kingdom. But we also, we're told in scripture, we also must ensure that we don't become of the world. We cannot get so comfortable with the weeds, right, growing up all around us, that we start to blend in too much. We begin to look and act like a weed ourselves. And not all of these things, like I said, are black and white. So we need to be on our toes. It's going to mean a lot of, of study, a lot of prayer, lots of difficult discernment. It's going to mean humility and, and active listening at times. It's going to mean boldness and speaking out at other times. And all of this can, can be lived out beautifully by someone who leans in either direction or any direction politically. Neither side, I fully believe, or, or no side has the monopoly on faithful civic participation. Really, the point in my mind is that sides shouldn't matter. If we are God's first, citizens of the kingdom first, then the only voice that should really matter is that of God. And we'll measure every other voice we hear up against his. We will identify first as kingdom citizens. Uh, the whole notion of being red or blue or an elephant or a donkey or whatever being uh, just silliness and irrelevant when we start thinking on this level, right? And allying ourselves, I fully believe with a, a party, 100%, you might find yourself drawn one way or another, but, but declaring this is who I am uh, at all costs allying ourselves with a particular party becomes somewhat dangerous because these allegiances become a threat uh, to our allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom and and the lines start to get blurry so i don't know this is these are just my general rantings i'm gonna call them rantings of an exhausted political observer and sometimes participant uh, but there is wisdom in these parables to guide us uh, to a better understanding of how to engage, how to plug into the world around us. And not just in the parables, but elsewhere. But but Jesus uh, goes straight at it with these parables and, and uh, really paints a beautiful picture of what it can look like for a Christian to, um, to bring God's kingdom into this world while at the same time being, being, of, uh, being in this world. Uh, we got to be in it to bring the kingdom into it, but not be of it, not get too tangled up in it uh, that we lose perspective. So, you know, that's probably enough. That's probably enough for today, uh, Stephen, unless you have any more jokes for us. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to, aren't you going to, 
I'll announce it. So Paul is going to run for president in 2024. So that's what he's tr- <laughs> that's what he's trying to get to actually. Yeah, that's I'm I'm setting things up for <laughs> for that. It's been nice knowing you all, but yeah. uh, no, no, thank you. <laughs> I, I would vote for you, Paul. Would you? Yeah. Yeah, you're just saying that. Didn't you mention you can sniff it out? So you like. Paul 20, 20, 24, you can sniff it out. You can sniff <laughs> That might be taken a bit out of context, but it, it would be um, remem- remember, uh, mem- memorable. Memorable, That's yeah. That's what I'm right, looking for. Right. You got me so frazzled. I can't even remember basic you know, English language. Uh, but you have a job to do. You're going to close this out here. Yo, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I'm sure we're all glad to have Paul back. Um, he just gives a little bit of humor here and uh just to remind everyone we're doing um in-person service at 10 parking lot 8 30 and in person at 11 30 as well um and then also just keep to the website as um we navigate this virus and the website would be the best place to get up-to-date information uh, if things change um with the virus and and just case numbers and stuff so just a reminder so thank you for listening and we pray and hope that these podcasts have been a strength and encouragement for your faith